Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. I'm Charlie Wright. We're very grateful you've joined us today. And we're looking forward to talking to our guest, Landon Whaley, founder and CEO of Whaley Capital Group, a hedge fund and asset manager. He speaks to us from their headquarters in beautiful Charlottesville, Virginia. Landon, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Charlie, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So we're looking forward to it, and we love that southern accent here, Landon. <laughs> so uh, you've got an MBA from the Darden School, the University of Virginia. You've got about two decades behind you in the financial industry. After several years uh, with two different Wall Street firms, you formed your own hedge fund, and you trade equities and futures markets, and uh, you run proprietary tactical strategies. So give us a little of your background and tell us how you got to uh, what you're doing today. Well, you know, straight out of uh, undergrad, I thought I was headed to med school, uh, and then uh, life intervened. And as you said, I've spent the last 20 years professionally managing money, launched my own firm eight years ago. And you're right, we focus on global macro, which I think we'll get into later. So we trade all four major asset classes, and it's been a, it's been a terrific journey so far. Uh, so tell us about Whaley Capital Group. Who do you do, what do you do for whom? Sure. So, look, when I launched the firm, and it's still true to this day, the asset management industry is highly commoditized, uh, and frankly, it's full of mediocrity. And so when I launched the firm, I knew we needed to focus on two primary objectives if we were going to have a chance at standing out. One is obviously our investment process, but two, and equally important, is the client experience. Um, So for objective one, we follow a rigorous framework that attempts to earn high-quality absolute returns each year. Uh, but objective 1B is we attempt to deliver a client experience that makes people think, man, why haven't we demanded this all along? After you know a decade between those two Wall Street firms, I had a lot of uh, ideas about how I wanted to change the look and the feel of the typical, uh, typical advisory relationship, uh, which in my opinion is generally slanted away from the client's favor. So here at Whaler Capital Group, we really consider the client experience to be a paramount part of the overall asset management equation, and, and we treat it as such. You know, uh, this weekend, uh, Landon, I saw for the very first time the movie The Big Short. I had read okay. the book when it first came out, but I, I just sure. saw the movie, and so I don't think anybody who saw that movie would argue with you that <laughs> Wall Street needs a, a facelift and a makeover here on uh, how they treat clients, etc. So let's start with what you call 1A. What is your basic approach to investing? Well, we are focused exclusively on a global macro style of investing. And global macro is, is industry jargon, which simply means we go anywhere and do anything. Um, I trade all four major asset classes, stocks, bonds, currencies, and commodities, on financial exchanges across the globe. Uh, and we go both ways, meaning we are proactive uh, on both the long and the short side of markets. Uh, several years ago, I heard it described, uh, global macro described best as it's looking down the hill, trying to figure out which of the four big chess pieces is about to move, which means trying to find imbalances uh, within or even between those four major asset classes. And I think that analogy uh, succinctly describes global macro investing, and I also think it does a good job of describing 
uh, from a thirty thousand foot view how we approach you know how we approach financial markets. And you know there are various ways, as we all know, to analyze markets. There's fundamental, technical, quantitative, and now some people are talking about behavioral. Which of those do you use, and how? Well, so tracking economic and financial market data, you know, across twenty nine economies worldwide, gives me a fairly unique perspective. Uh, but I better have a darn good way of organizing and contextualizing all that data. And so to do that, we use what we call our gravitational framework. Um, which helps us better understand the three most critical forces or gravities uh, that impact asset prices, fundamental, quantitative, and behavioral. What makes our firm relatively unique is that most asset management firms' uh, process are built on understanding one of those particular inputs, whereas we are quite competent uh, not just in understanding how each of those operates individually, but how they work collectively uh, to impact asset prices. And so that gravitational framework is, is what helps me to contextualize the you know, 200 markets and several thousand companies that we monitor worldwide. The fundamental gravity, to, to give you a little bit of, of detail on each of those, the fundamental gravity is by far the most important. Uh, it's the anchor of the framework because the two most important variables that impact asset prices are economic conditions and how central banks respond to those conditions. And you can think of it uh, like a flock of birds. Uh, if you watch a flock of birds, hundreds of birds rising and diving together, the reality is there are two to three birds at the center of that flock driving the direction of the others. In financial markets, those birds at the center of the flock pushing asset prices up and down is the fundamental gravity or the combination of economic conditions and central bank policy. Nothing impacts risk and return more than, the, than what we call the fundamental gravity. From the a quantitative perspective, we track a number of different factors, such as volume, volatility, cross-asset relationships. And here we're trying to pay attention to two primary things, what we call the slopes or the trend of those factors over time. And then we're also looking at extremes. We're measuring today's measure of that factor and comparing it with its historic uh, standards to see if what we're witnessing today is an extreme value. Why we think that's important uh, is because in the same way that biologists study disease to better understand the healthy body or meteorologists study hurricanes to better understand everyday local weather, when studying markets, it's, it's understanding the abnormal, uh, the irregular, what we call the extremes, that provides the greatest insight into both the risk and the opportunities. And so once the fundamental gravity has told us how we should be trading a market, the quantitative gravity has told us how a market is trading from various perspectives, we then look to the behavioral gravity. And this is where we attempt to uh, quantify what I call the humanness, uh, or the fact that human beings are innately flawed decision makers. And so here again, we monitor a number of different factors to quantify investors' current perception of a market or company, and more importantly, how that perception is changing as we move through time. Uh, and here again, we're, me we're monitoring the trend of that perception and then we're also comparing it to historic readings to uh, be able to pick up on extreme behavior in real time as we move forward. That sounds like quite a challenge. Now, the first question here, Landon, is you've talked about markets. You have not talked about individual stocks. Okay, so do you just trade markets? Nope, we do individual companies as well. Yeah, and I, uh, so when, but we, we do everything from a top-down perspective. So everything is driven from the, from the economic down, 
Uh, but we do execute individual securities, and we have a special framework that we use uh, that sort of overlays to help us pick pick individual companies if we choose to go that route. Okay. So tell us here, uh, what is your investment strategy? We, we basically understand what you've talked about as the framework. Uh, how do you go about doing this? Is it rules-based? Do you go long and short? Uh, do you look at this every day, every month, every three months? Uh, tell us more specifically about the strategy. Well, so I, it might be semantics, Charlie, but I actually like the word process better because to me, the word strategy uh, kind of feels like you've got it all figured out and that you have a static approach to markets. And I can promise you, I don't have it all figured out. I mean, our process is very robust and dynamic, uh, but most importantly, it's iterative. You know, we are constantly working uh, to hone our craft and improve what we do. Uh, it, we are active uh, on a daily basis uh, in markets but through basically a three-pillar process. The first pillar we just talked about in depth, the gravitational framework. This is the, the framework tells us what market or company to trade and from what side to trade it. Long, short, um, we also have a neutral rating. So that's where it all starts. Now, once we have that input, we have that particular market or stock uh, idea, we turn to the second pillar, which is our market timing pillar. And that is a much more quantitatively driven, uh, quantitatively driven pillar that helps us get the entry and exit correct, okay, or as correct as we can, as we can be. Uh, then the third pillar, once we've determined that, uh, that part of the trade, is what we call our risk consciousness pillar. And that's how we determine that we use that pillar and process to determine things like position size, gross and net exposure, and just overall how we want to put all of the inputs together, right, all the different portfolio holdings, uh, those types of things. So it's a three-pillar process. Um, our average uh, trade duration is roughly two weeks, um, but I watch it, uh, you know, two or three times a day for, for set periods of time, so I don't stare at a monitor all day long. Um, but it is a it is a daily process for us, um, you know, as we move through time. And so you have talked about a single process here. Uh, do you have just one particular portfolio, and is that in separately managed accounts? Is that how you do business? So we basically it is one process that we execute in two different ways. Okay, we have uh, obviously we have institutional and accredited private investors who invest in our hedge fund. Uh, but we also, uh, for non-accredited investors or investors who have, you know, retirement accounts or other types of accounts that, that aren't, uh, aren't suitable for a hedge fund, we do, we do uh, manage a long-only uh, account strategy or, or a process. But, but again, it's same framework, same gravitational framework, same market timing pillar, same risk consciousness pillar, but the way we execute is different, right? So if you're long-only, we're certainly not shorting. Uh, and in that long-only strategy, we deal in strictly in U.S.-based assets, so ETFs and stocks primarily. Uh, we are able to get a global macro flavor using various different ETFs to execute on bonds, commodities, things of that nature. But we do have two strategies, but the philosophy, the mindset, the framework is all exactly the same for both. It's simply a matter of how we execute. Landon, we need to take a short break. When we come back, my one of my first questions is going to be, if you have a single strategy, why should a risk-averse 70-year-old invest in the same portfolio that a 30-year-old is going to invest in? So again, we're talking with Landon Whaley, founder and CEO of Whaley Capital Group out of Charlottesville, Virginia. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio, and we'll be right back. 
All right, time for our tip of the week with Charlie Wright. Who have you got with you today, Charlie? Paul, we've got Tim Plain, editor of the newsletter The Dividend Hunter by Investor Zali. Tim, thanks for joining us. Hi, Charlie. Glad to be here. Tim, you published The Dividend Hunter to recommend high-dividend-paying stocks, uh, BDCs, and REITs. Tell us right now what tip do you have for us today? Uh, today I'd like to talk about a master limited partnership, an MLP, called NGL Energy Partners, stock symbol NGL. Okay, and why do you like them? Um, I, I'm looking at this as kind of a turnaround play. It's one whose uh, share price has fallen from almost 26 down to under $14. And it's all because the company had announced dividend increases later in the year than then a few weeks ago they announced they wouldn't be increasing the dividend until next year. And the market kind of hammered it, but it's still a pretty good company. Okay. And, and uh, what, what kinds of uh, criteria tell you that you like them as a company? You know, they're kind of a hodgepodge of different uh, energy infrastructure assets, and they have a tremendous amount of upside cash flow potential as energy production growth in, like, the Permian and out west grows. So they've got some built-in growth coming, and while you're waiting, you have an 11.5% dividend yield you can earn along the way. Okay, so uh, what was that ticker symbol again? It's NGL. Okay, and for those who would like to know more, where can they go, Tim? For my personal newsletter, it's The Dividend Hunter, and I'm sponsored by InvestorsAlley.com. If you go to the InvestorsAlley.com website, you can find all the information about my services. Okay, and they can communicate with you? Yes, they can. Okay, Tim, thank you very much for joining us today, and happy dividend hunting here. Thank you, Charlie. All right, back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Fascinating conversation here with Landon Whaley, founder and CEO of Whaley Capital Group. So, Landon, as as I understand it here, uh, you have an approach to investing that, one, has lots and lots of moving parts. And you don't pigeonhole your analysis into either fundamental or quantitative or behavioral. You use all three You do it on a constant basis. You do this as a hedge fund for institutions and accredited investors, and you now do it on separately managed accounts for the smaller retail investor. Did did we get that pretty accurately? Well, you you nailed it. I couldn't have done it better myself. I have to hire you to be my marketing guy. (laughs) Hey, I just don't have your accent here. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, so Landon, tell us again, as I said before the break, uh, 70-year-old risk-averse person, why should they be investing the same as a 30-year-old? That runs contrary to everything the investment world has been teaching for 30-plus years that I've been in it, okay? Uh, how does that make sense? I'm going to tell you, let's do this way, and I'll, I'll discuss a the primary reason, which is there's a misconception out there that leads into this, okay, leads into some bad behavior, and we can talk about that too. Uh, but you're exactly right. We manage money one way, the way that we found that works for us, and so we give uh, prospective clients a rundown of how we do what we do, how, how we go about making decisions, and they decide if they're right for us or not. But outside of that, there's a, you know, one of the misconceptions is people, I think investors either ignore or don't understand what truly drives the risk and the returns of asset classes. And, and because of that, they, they believe things like, you know, bonds are safer than stocks. Utilities uh, stocks are safer than technology stocks. 
And, and frankly, this couldn't be more inaccurate as blanket statement, right? Brushing these asset classes with, with, with this broad of a stroke. And I'll give you a real-world current scenario example of what I'm talking about. Over the last 16 months, U.S. growth has been accelerating since hitting a bottom in the summer of 2016. And over that time period, long-dated treasuries have, de- has, have performed cumulatively a decline of 7.3%, with a max drawdown of 18%. Three- to seven-year treasuries have declined 2% over that time, with a drawdown of 5%. U.S. utilities are up 9%, but they've experienced a 12% maximum drawdown. So the risk-reward there is actually skewed slightly to the downside. And technology stocks, U.S. tech stocks, are up 49%, with a max drawdown of 5%. Now, to summarize that, tech stocks, up 50% in the last 16 months, have experienced half as much risk as utilities, a quarter of the risk of long-dated treasuries, and the exact same downside risk as three- to seven-year treasuries. And I'm not cherry-picking here. If you, the risk-return profiles of these particular markets is very similar if you go back and study other time periods when U.S. growth has been accelerating. And what's important for the listeners to understand is that, on balance, we spend here in the U.S. specifically, we spend about half our time in regimes where growth is accelerating and these uh, risk-return profiles are accurate. The other half of the time, we spend in growth-slowing regimes, and that is the regime where utility stocks are safer than tech stocks and bonds are safer than, than stocks in general, right? But the common misconception here is that these things are true all of the time, and that leads to some very bad behavior, as you pointed out. It's the exact opposite of what Wall Street and everyone else has been preaching for 30 years, one of which is, one of these practices that bewilders me, is, is the risk-tolerance questionnaire. Right? Now, we're an asset management firm, not a wealth management firm, so when someone comes into us, we don't give them a risk tolerance. Again, we tell them what we do, and they decide if we're right for them. But in a typical structure, you'll come in and sit down from, from someone. They'll give you either a verbal or a written risk tolerance questionnaire, which is designed to figure out how much downside in your portfolio you can stomach um, before you start to cry. Right? And, and the SEC requires it. <laughs> okay. Well, that, very good, right? Yeah. And then what do they do with that information, Charlie? Once they've figured out that Charlie is, is capable of sustaining emotionally a 10% or 15% drawdown in his account, then they go and allocate you in a way that puts the odds highly likely that you're going to experience that level of drawdown. To me, that has never made any sense. How much They're going to ask you how much pain you can tolerate, and then they're going to position you to probably experience that level of pain. And it gets back to the question of the, nine, the 70-year-old versus the 30-year-old. I, for the life of me, I don't care if you're 30 or 70, whether you're starting your first job or you're living off uh, of your retirement funds, why would anyone go through a drawdown if they don't have to? Just because a 30-year-old, quote, has time to recover, he or she can take more risk than the, than the 70-year-old? To me, the idea that asset allocation decisions or asset management decisions ought to be risk-tolerance-driven or age-driven is, frankly, outdated. You know, risk should be consistently monitored, your portfolio adjusted accordingly, and in my opinion, uh, should be, and all of these things should be driven by what the fundamental gravity of the economy where you're trading is, you know, what it is at the current time. Because that's what drives the risk and return of asset classes, as, as I, you know, in the example I just showed. So, yeah, the 90-year-old, the 70-year-old, and the 30-year-old both ought to have risk as their primary objective, managing risk as their primary objective, with profit potential to be second. 
and they ought to be allocated in the way that's appropriate given what the economic backdrop is, you know, at the current time. I mean, the 90-year-old or the 70-year-old over the last 16 months, how have they done? Because the traditional model, based on risk tolerance and age, has them heavily skewed towards bonds, which have lost money and experienced massive drawdowns, I might add. And their stock portfolio is probably tilted towards uh, dividend-type stocks, which means utilities, which means REITs. Those things have, have done, have, are, they're off, they're positive, but they've experienced a much more of a downside risk during that time than other, uh, other areas of the stock market that are more conducive for this environment, meaning tech stocks, financial stocks, those types of things. Landon, uh, I want you to do me a favor. If sure. you ever get invited uh, to debate someone, please don't call me as the other party to debate. Okay. <laughs> well, look, I have I, I don't know that I'm right, okay, but I do have strong opinions on these things and it's you know, it's it's after, you know, again, almost two decades of, of, of watching markets and, and uh trying to better understand it for myself, you start to see some of the the uh just sort of backward thinking that has that has as you pointed out earlier, has been a, a part of the fabric of of investing, specifically in this country, you know, for three decades now. Well again, you, you make a very compelling case on a very contrarian opinion from, you know, 90-plus percent of the investment world. So moving on, a question. What do you see as the common misconceptions about investing by most investors? Well, we just covered one huge one, right, which is just simply a misunderstanding of what, what truly drives risk and returns of all asset classes across the world. Okay, that's, that's one and number one. And so, you know, if, you're, if your listeners want to, want to sidestep the dangers that that misconception could could entail. Uh, again, I would just make sure that whatever their portfolio holdings are at a given point in time are aligned with the underlying economic conditions for, for wherever uh, those assets are domiciled. So that's what I'll say about that. The other huge one for me, and again, there are many. I could, you know, I would teach a, a year-long course on it, but the other one that's a, a big one for me is investors have come to believe that volatility is the same thing as risk. Okay, and this is just not true. I mean, investors of all types, and I mean professional money managers, mutual fund guys, hedge fund guys, all the way down to individual investors, use measures like standard deviation or beta to define risk. Okay, and the truth is, you can't quantify risk. Risk isn't a number, but again, our humanness, our innately flawed way of going about things, we like things that fit in a box, right? We like numbers that tell us, it gives us a, a, a sense of security that we know what's going on. Uh, and all this has done is led to, specifically here in the U.S., right, U.S.-centric investors have, been, have used these statistics, and for the last decade, basically, their, their accounts have gone straight up and to the right. I mean, the U.S. equity market is on a tear. This has lulled them into a false sense of security, in my opinion, because the problem with this way of thinking is the foundation of it is the fact that there's only one market in the world, and I'm talking stock, bond, currency, or commodity market, that has not experienced a crash in the last nine years. Okay, And a crash technically defined as a peak-to-trough move of 20% or more. And that one market is the S&P 500. So U.S. stock-centric investors, advisors, asset managers, don't really have experience with market crashes because they haven't had to, Right. You know, in the eight years since I've launched the firm, I've been fortunate enough to experience market crashes, you know, across all four major asset classes on five continents. I mean, you know, Chinese equities are down 50% in the final six months of 2015. The euro has crashed. 
uh, between 2014-2015. Gold and long-dated U.S. Treasuries crashed in the final six months of last year. This is just to name a few. These experiences helped us to improve our process and helped us better understand what leads to these types of adverse market conditions. My fear is this, is that uh, investors of all types using these volatility measures and thinking it's risk, one, is a problem, and then two, for U.S.-centric investors who are mainly involved in large and mega-cap stocks who have experienced almost no volatility, uh, much less any risk, really, are thinking they have a robust risk management system, right, because they're looking at all these different metrics that make them feel good and make them feel like they really understand what's going on in their portfolio, when the reality is they don't, right? And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just simply the, the fact of the matter of the markets they've been involved in. So, so misconception is volatility is not risk. Risk is a completely different beast. Um, and then the other sort of thing is the misconception that, you know, what's been going on in the S&P for almost a decade um, is normal. And so, you know, if listeners want to get a handle on this particular, uh, the problems that this particular misconception could cause, you know, I would, I would advocate that they make sure uh, that they have a robust process for managing risk, right? Understand risk, not volatility. Uh, because one day, you know, buying the dip isn't going to work, right? And you want to make sure that you, 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 have, uh, you have robustly put together a risk management process before that day comes. Um, otherwise, you know, you're going you're gonna to be caught with your shorts down when the tide goes out. Gotcha. That, that's one of our favorite sayings that we use often on this show is, I believe it comes from Warren Buffett, uh, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And uh, that, so you just made exactly a great right. case I, for that. So, well uh, Brandon, uh, uh, Landon, we, uh, what keeps you awake at night? That's a question that we ask all of our guests here. It's a good question. I actually have to, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a good question. I'd say that nothing, nothing keeps me awake at night in terms of um, stress or worry. But, Charlie, I'd say this. If, if anything keeps me up, it's, it's, I have a level of anticipation, you know, sort of like Christmas Eve when you're a kid. And I think if you're involved in markets right now at any level, you're a market participant of any kind, you should have that same eagerness. I mean, look, we live, we live in interesting times. We've got you know, negative interest rates, diverging central bank policy, political instability. We have a number of historic occurrences happening. You know, Eurozone high-yield bonds are yielding less than treasuries. I mean, the least, least goes on and on. And if you're an advisor or asset manager, what this means is you're going to have an opportunity, a real opportunity, to deliver value to, to your clients in the years ahead. Regardless, we're all being given an opportunity to hone our craft in real time with never-before-seen market footage, or at the very least, footage that isn't seen but every few decades. And so I think if you're a market practitioner, I mean, what could possibly be more exciting? I don't think we could ask for a more fertile market environment uh, in terms of both risks and rewards. And as you know, I mean, those things go hand in hand. So, um, so I'm, 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 you know, I'm kept up at night with anticipation of what's to come and, and the opportunity to learn and to grow. You know, we've got to hand it to you. You've got a very positive, optimistic outlook. Many in this industry uh, are more on the negative side of what keeps them awake in regards to those very same things. Uh, the second question we like to ask all of our guests here, Landon, is what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, if I had to boil it down to one, I'd have to go with Against the Gods, The Remarkable Story of Risk by Peter Bernstein. Um, you know, you, you described me at the outset as a, a hedge fund and asset manager. I, you know, internally here, I consider myself a risk manager first and foremost. 
And that book is, um, I read it for the first time uh, maybe a decade ago. It is phenomenal. Uh, it's a phenomenal book on risk. It sort of brings, it's, it, it sort of originates where risk started um, and brings you full, full circle. And it's, uh, it just gets, it's a lot of food for thought in that book. Um, and if I could just toss out another one, The Tao of Capital by Mark Spitznagel. It's a great book for better understanding why you've got to approach markets in an unconventional way if you want to earn superior uh, risk-adjusted returns uh, because you can't, you, know, you can't make decisions the same way the herd does and expect your performance to deviate from the average, right? And, and just in case my southern accent screwed that up, it's Dow, D-A-O, of capital. Uh, it's another good book. Okay, thanks. I'm taking a note here on that. So thank you very much. So, Landon, uh, give us your website uh, and contact information for those who would like to know more. Sure. You can reach us at whaleycapitalgroup.com. Uh, and we also, uh, the, re- the research side of the firm is whaleyglobalresearch.com. We offer a number of research services to uh, invest, uh, registered investment advisors to help them uh, you know, better improve what they do for their clients. So asset management is whaleycapitalgroup.com. And if you're interested in any research-related things, uh, whaleyglobalresearch.com. Spell Whaley for our, our folks sure. here from it's Virginia. Like a, you? like a whale with a Y. W-H-A-L-E-Y. Okay. So final words for our listeners here, Landon. Uh, final words would be, look, there's no more competitive environment on Earth and no other industry that lets day one amateurs and multi-decade professionals play on the same field. And if you could imagine them letting average people play in NBA games against LeBron or Steph Curry, you know, it's, it's funny to think about, but that's exactly what, you know, you and your listeners and I am doing every time we make a decision and place a trade. We're competing against, you know, the very best of the best in terms of hedge funds, sovereign wealth funds, foreign banks, Wall Street firms. It's a daunting thought, but, but the fact that we're all human, right, can help us level the playing field because people are innately flawed decision makers, especially when it comes to financial decisions. We are hardwired to do the exact wrong thing at the exact wrong time. But we can use that reality, you know, to our advantage if we limit, you know, how much our own humanness negatively impacts our decision making. Um, and so I would, leave, I would leave you with and your listeners with the idea of staying data-dependent, process-driven, and risk-conscious in order to do that. You know, data-dependent means make decisions based on what the data is telling you, not the stories that are being told about the data. Process-driven means that every single investment decision you make should be rooted in a proven and time-tested process. And finally, but not uh, any less important, risk-conscious means consider the risks of a potential investment decision first and the profit potential second. If I've learned nothing else in my almost 20 years of being involved in markets, is that consistently great returns, regardless of market conditions, occur because you minimize losses. Once you've made an investment decision, the only thing that is in your control is the minimization of those losses. And in my experience, if you handle that part, the profits uh, you know, tend to follow. Landon, thank you very much. This has been, uh, again, fascinating, and uh, we appreciate your willingness to spend time with us today and offer our best wishes to you and uh, all involved at Whaley Capital Group for continued success here. Charlie, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you. Again, we've been talking with Landon Whaley, founder and CEO of Whaley Capital Group out of Charlottesville, Virginia. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us at info 
at strateginvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strateginvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.